podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! It's pod 175 and we're Ooh. without Jim Daly this week. Oh. Hooray! <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much going to be the reaction of the entire Palace fan base, I believe. So uh, we're joined today by Kevin, as ever. Hello. We've got the return of Rob Sutherland. Hello. And we've got Mike Wick back on the pod as well. Hello. A uh, quick word from our sponsors, which I will remember, unlike a certain other host who isn't here this week. Uh, we're sponsored by Vector, the print and embroidery company from West or East Sussex. I can't I can't remember which. Sussex. Sussex. For all of your print and embroidery needs, you need to visit www.vector.co.uk and that's Vector with a no. K. Thank you. Sorry, what was that? No. No? <laughs> Carry on. What, why, why do you not want to... What, what's your problem with Vector? Did they not embroider your shirt to the standards that you required? Correct. Oh. Oh. That's so, not true. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, so it's not all your embroidery needs. No. I mean, the sponsorship slot's already going badly wrong, if I'm honest. Uh, We're also sponsored by JC Innovation and Strategy, the brand and strategy consultancy from South London. Visit jc-is.com. Yes, I I will. will. There we go. Uh, I didn't know his name was Jim all these years. Well, Jim, daily. Oh, he reinvents himself all the time. Uh, James. Sometimes James, sometimes Jim. Uh, Sometimes a vegan, sometimes a full meat eater. uh, Sometimes a comedian, sometimes a gent. He does all sorts of stuff. Sometimes a comedian, when... Well, you know... in his show <laughs> just once or twice just oh. once or twice uh, point for Palace yeah good point very yeah. good point I mean uh, I've got to come back very briefly to the predictions at the end of last week where both I and Kevin predicted a loss yes so we've already, we've already been hammered for that so what's your explanation for being quite so wrong Kevin I thought it was a pun sorry <laughs> who hammered us for what, what? well I've, I've seen a few comments today online saying are we going to eat humble pie for our negativity, so what, just, just ba- basing predictions on facts and logic, and having seen Palace play the previous yeah, six games, <laughs> eat your humble pie. Yes, it was. Uh, we predicted a narrow defeat. I don't think we were the only people to to do that. So, so what confounded our prediction then? Uh, I don't think it was a red card. I think we've been quick to criticise Pardew recently. Everyone else has um, for not making changes. He's he made the change at half time, which was a very important one, and. To his credit, when West Ham went down to ten men, he made a very positive change by bringing Fraser Campbell on. So Mike. he went looking for the he went looking for the win. Mike, was it a red card? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Well, because there's been quite a lot of contention about this amongst pundits mm. and fans alike. I mean, sort me through why you consider it to be a red card. And then I'll talk you through why I, I consider it to be a red card as well. <laughs> uh, okay. His foot was over the ball, stud showing. It was reckless. All these terms that we use now when referees are discussing red cards decision. it ticks all those boxes it won't get rescinded if it gets rescinded I will donate 10 quid to a charity of FYP's choice ok well, 20 quid 
There we go. Did, did, did anyone see us getting back into the match at that point? I mean, it, it, it was sort of, what, it's around the 60-minute mark that that red card comes? It. it felt like it was a case of kind of Palace going through the motions and West Ham doing that too. Uh, not that, I think we, we were trying, but, but there was a spell, I think, I think it was about in the 10 minutes before the red card happened where West Ham were just in complete control. We really had a difficult, we found it difficult getting the ball back. Um, so I think when that red card happened, which I think was also a red card, um, <laughs> uh, I think it was, it, it, it certainly made things a little bit easier for Palace. But equally, you have to be able to exploit that situation. And West Ham are not a bad side. And even down to 10 men, they should, you know, you'd argue that they, they should have been able to control the game. So the position that a couple of pundits I've seen make on that red card, one of whom was Tony Gale, who will have, of course be entirely impartial on the matter. Mm, played both teams, but... Well, a slight disproportionate level between the two teams. His point, which I don't think is necessarily the case, is that it's not very high. He's not gone completely over the ball. The studs are starting to angle down. But he, if, he's not if, completely if that, out of control. control. Yeah. I, I was at, I've only seen extended highlights because I was at a wedding on Saturday. And I have to say that about ten past five. Thank you very much. It's about time I made an honest woman. Uh, about ten past five, when when we were crowded around the phone and Billich was giving his interview, saying referees were determined to. He couldn't. He spoke to his lawyers, which was ludicrous to check what he could say and what he couldn't say. So we're all thinking, well, this is clearly a miscarriage of justice. You see it first time in real in real time. That's a straight red every time when you see it first time, as the BBC Match Today commentator said. Uh, and then when you watch it again, you can go. I'm not entirely sure what they're making a fuss about. He was, he was way over the ball. He could have, if if Gale had his leg planted, he would have broken his leg. Simple as that. And Gale did really well to get up and to avoid the challenge and then get up and not make a meal of it. You afterwards him saying it's not a red card seems to be all part of his bizarre anger management thing that he's on at the moment because he looked angry enough on the, on the touchline. You could clearly understand why Clattenburg gave it. And also, it was as much of a red card as the one for Gale against the same player at Sellers Park earlier in the season, to be, Ooh, to be perfectly honest. It's interesting. We, we've had quite a bit of history with Kiyate because the last time we played them at Upton Park, uh, Mile Jednak was the, the recipient of quite yeah. a few elbows from Kiyate and he didn't get booked. And then a few minutes later, he ended up <laughs> going on the hunt for someone and ended up elbowing someone himself. Yeah. Um, it, it's. I think the thing as well is you, you would argue that if... I would I would argue that if West Ham had been the victim, if let's say Pyatt had been the victim of that tackle, you'd have seen the pundits take a completely different yeah. stance. Because at that point, I think that, that you can uh, that there is an element of West Ham bias when it comes to London clubs. West Ham do seem to get the rub of the green. You look at the Evening Standard; it tends to be yeah. a, a West Ham mouthpiece. And, um, and and so then when they see a tackle like that, and it's it's on a Palace player and it puts West Ham's opportunity of maybe getting into the Champions League for their brand new stadium at risk Long. You, you see people take offence but it's interesting I was talking to two friends of mine who are West Ham season ticket holders who were in a corporate situation on Saturday in which I was supposed to be joining them until I remember another fucking wedding uh, they both said that the reason it came about is that regardless of what Rob said they thought at the start of the second half Palace came out looked at a different team and it, it rattled West Ham and you saw that with the back pass that rattled them and he thought that the red card while not agreeing it was a red card but he thought the tackle was a corollary of the fact that we we were much more in the game in the second half than we had been in the first half Well it was one of those wasn't it where you see it so often a, a player loses control of the ball and then in his slight over eagerness to yeah. win it back yeah, yeah. effectively it's, ends it's, up over extending it's exactly what happened to Murray when he got mm-hmm. his Second yellow straight, yeah. second yellow at Sellers Park. Same thing. Murray used to do that a lot. But I'd, 
I, you know, I, you can argue it was it wasn't a red card, but you certainly can't argue as uh, Billich did that it was a terrible miscarriage of justice. You can fully understand why Clattenburg gave that decision, and he, he was very close. And regardless of what we say about him, he's a good referee, and I think I agree with Mike. I don't think it will be rescinded. And to be honest, the game, I mean, I thought Clattenburg was right to send Gale off at Sellers Park. Yeah. I mean, to be, at the, and at the time, we were furious. At the time, I was for two days, I just wouldn't have it until I watched it again. And I think West Ham fans might, when they see it again, they might go, yeah, his foot, he's, he was out of control of the tackle, his foot was way over the ball. At the point of contact, yeah. you could also say that um, Kiyate could have pulled it, pulled out of it. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he could have, especially at the point where he had his studs up, he oh. could have, he could have with, like, withdrawn his leg at the, that point, but he didn't. Um, yeah. which, are, which, with Gale coming on and having made a difference, yeah. you know, you could say that, that he was intending to actually... And also, I think, as... as uh, as Rob says, Pardew did take a positive uh, approach for it, and so we did exploit the situation. We didn't just sit back and wait for something to happen in the last minute. So we took the game to them, and we could have scored. Punch and had a good chance in ninety third minute. So, so Dwight Gale obviously integrally involved in in that particular incident. Yes, obviously Pardew's. scores scores the goal with uh, a great finish. You can all see where I'm going with this. Mm. No. <laughs> is that the answer to my my, my subsequent well, question, or is or is that the answer to I'd, I'd where start, I'm should we be starting Dwight Gale? No. I, well, I I think probably yeah, I, maybe. I think maybe. Yes. I think he. I think. <laughs> I think he, well, I'm just unaware that Mike's a guest in my house and he's had a honeymoon recently. I don't like to disagree with people that are exhausted. <laughs> uh, um, I, I I thought Pardew's comments were really odd, and we know. Apparently he's a quite a volatile character, Gail, and he's had his ups and downs with Pardew. But I don't know whether Pardew thought that saying out loud to the press that oh, I've never really rated him and he's had trouble getting in the team, but maybe I've got to rely on him now. I'm not entirely sure they were the right way of motivating him, but I'd, it, he, he does score goals. I mean, his, his goal scoring record we is just say better. That. Well, it's better than our other strikers. When compared to our other strikers, he does his hit rate is. It's not impressive compared to the rest of the division, but it's compared to the strikers we got. His and last goal in the league was January 2015. When was his last? 2015? Yeah. What, was it? Yeah. Burnley away. The and then how, just to play devil's advocate here, how, how many times has he started games. in between? Started, I don't know. But his goals per minute are far worse than Scott Dan. And I feel he doesn't contribute defensively as much as Scott Dan does that's, that's an interesting set. I didn't know that I mean that was, that's so in terms of I'm, Mike, supplying, Mike. I'm supplying my own anecdotal evidence here, which indicates <laughs> that he's actually I think the problem for Gale is that when he has played he we've tried to fit him into the existing system and really if you're going to play Gale you need to play him alongside someone like Adebayo or Wickham and I don't know whether we're in a position to do that I think that, that's probably one of the biggest things we have difficulty with. Yeah. Pardew said that he's bulked up, he looks fitter, he looks stronger. He's, you know, he's obviously spent some time in the gym, which, I, I, as you say, I think that you, you've got to wonder whether that's just a bit of kidology or, you know, whether he's actually being genuinely honest about it. Um, but it, it is interesting that he hasn't he hasn't started a game for Palace no. since I think it was the Man U game where he was sent off, and perhaps that had an impact on. Pardew wanting to trust him or you know whether it was a case that, that you put him into that situation where it's important that he plays and he gets sent off and ends up missing a game as a result as well well the trouble is as well that it's, it's like West Ham sending off he started that game at Sellers Park and then 
just ran about like a headless what, rabbit. Was it Man U? It was West Ham. Oh, it was West Ham. Yeah, it was West Ham. Yeah, but he started that game. He was an accident waiting to happen yeah. because he was throwing himself into tackles trying to prove Which, that he was yeah. trying to prove himself. So it's kind of odd. But it, it, the way Pardew was talking, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be surprised to see him start. But you're absolutely right. We used to talk about this when Murray was here. We used to say Gale never had a chance to play yeah. off Murray, which would have been perfect. So, and I think he would work are, well with Wickham. Yeah, well, I, I think, think I mean there's you know four four two is gradually creeping back. We've you know three or four teams are playing it with some degree of success. So I think I think it would be very interesting. Wickham apparently is going to be fit. I don't think Adam Boyle by all will start if he is fit. To be perfectly honest, um, we've you say four four two is back. Well, with the variations there. Yeah, yeah we've played it a number of times, right? With um, Adabuya and Wickham recently, but and successfully for Palace. No, 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 yeah, no not yeah. at all. Because but they're not they're, they're not a the great partnership. Role, yeah, and we've played it with Belassi kind of playing off Wickham when we had our you know, the Newcastle game when we had our good run. I wouldn't begrudge Gale a start or a, a few starts, a run of games next to someone like Wickham in a four four two. But I just don't think he's good enough for this level. He's played. He looks. Why not? When when he plays as a one, as a lone striker, he looks like a child playing in playing adult football. He is a fantastic. He's blessed. We were talking about this after the game, actually. Unsurprisingly, having just watched Dwight Gale play for Palace, perhaps Um, he is blessed with sensational finishing ability, but nothing else other than that. And it's in. In most games, where particularly now where we're where we're struggling, he just doesn't get enough chances to um, to take advantage of that one asset he has, and he just does not do anything else other than that. He makes he doesn't run the channels well enough. He makes bad decisions in possession. I, I, I'm I not sure we've got a, the, we haven't got the luxury of not playing a player who's blessed with extraordinary finishing ability. Mm-hmm. Then have we? That's the the, prob- the big problem yeah. is what. what sorry, if you do play a two up front, who who misses out? Because Punchin's going to start every game, mm. I'd imagine now. Velassi's going to start. So, you can't. Jahad doesn't deserve to be dropped. So it's. I'd, I mean, that's the, that is the problem. Because I think we'd all want to see Gale given a chance, mm. but at whose expense? It's really. I and mean, we'll talk about the Norwich game later on. Um, In our extra. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well done. Yeah, um, thanks. He. It'll be really interesting to see what party does whether because. The classic question is: Is that a must win or a must not lose? Which uh, is actually one of the questions we oh, got for part two. My apologies. But, in that but, case, but very well preempted. <laughs> yeah. But we'll come very, on to very, that very quickly on Gale. I think one of the other problems that he has is that you, you look at the way that Wickham plays, and he is he runs across the back line like it, his life depends on it. Mm. And, and for someone who's who's as big as he is. Uh, that it takes, you know, you don't expect it. He, Wickham has pace, but you don't really expect to see him chasing lost causes like he does. With Gale, I think the problem that he had was that he did that against West Ham in the in the previous fixture, and it went horribly wrong for him. And then since then, whenever he's come on, he's been expected to do it and just hasn't. He hasn't done it, and so now you're you're in a in a position where you're he does run the channels. I think he actually. That's one thing that he is actually quite good at, is finding the space. But the problem that he has is that he, he can only do that if he's got other people around him to support him in that situation. And, and that's what he misses. That's why he was so good when he played up alongside uh, alongside Glenn Murray. You know, that there was that movement. There is that understanding between him and other strikers. But you have to have, you have, to have the flexibility to do that. And, and you could argue then, why is it that we don't play a system that suits 
Dwight Gale if he is well, that, that but, good finisher. Uh, see, the other hand, he would argue, and I'm, I'm only basing this on having seen extended highlights and talking, as I say, my two West Ham mates. Like Gale, because they were so worried about his pace in the second half, their two centre backs, they played 10, 15 yards deeper than they had been in the first half, which gave us the space to get onto them, which we were doing in the second half in a way that we weren't in the first half. And Balassi and Punchy were playing much further forward and getting and getting involved and that was giving him space to get behind the full-backs as well as weren't retreating as far as the centre-back so I think Gale does bring it I mean I, it's, he, is, he is a mystery wrapped in an enigma but he's, he's, I, I don't know, I think he's a Premier League player but at the same time I, you can understand his own frustration at not being given a chance and you know Norwich have got that massive centre-back now the one who scored on closer, closer than Saturday so I'm not entirely sure that just matching Wickham up against him is going to be going to be the answer so you know, Gale's certainly an option whether and whether that's it's possibly a better option off the bench I don't know but you know, it, it was noticeable that we had two when West Ham did make that mistake on Saturday we had two players in the box which is two strikers as well which is for us recently is, is really unusual so you can only praise him for doing his job and if as, if, as Mike says he is the best natural finisher at the club it's hard to understand why he hasn't started a bit more often, particularly in that period where we were really, really struggling for goals and he was on the bench and not coming off. It was a really instinctive finish as well. No, it was great. Finish. Oh, great yeah, it was a really good finish. Yeah, it's not, 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 not nearly as easy as people made it look, but said it was. Just going back to the first half, because uh, much I'd love to spend the entire podcast talking about Dwight Gale, uh, there was other stuff that came oh. out of that West Ham match. The first half, Palace sat a lot more, more deep, a lot, a lot more compact, almost played a little bit like a Pulis team at times. There was one stage yeah, in the first half where Palace had only seen, I think, about 20... Six percent of the ball. Do we think that's what they need to do for the rest of the season, just to grind out those last two, three, four points? Do what we did. This is exactly the way we played at Tottenham in the cup game, and exactly the way we said we should be playing afterwards. The the, the amount we had the ball is neither here nor there. Really, no, it doesn't. You know, every every West Ham fan I spoke to said we made a game of it. We decent opposition. Arguably, West Ham was slightly stronger, but they got a stronger squad than we have. Full stop, and they're on a run of good results. So, I've, yes, we we. We do grind. Of course, we have to grind it out. We have to be solid and compact and and defend the way we used to defend, and then see what happens at the other end. Did we think it was a sort of slightly more negative outlook than we've seen lately from a Pardew team, given quite how deep they were sitting at times in that first half, and given the fact that you had that sort of double pivot of Ledley and Jednak at the base of the midfield? Yeah, there's. I think there's two factors at play. One, Jednak and Ledley do not have the legs of Kabai and MacArthur. And when you lose both of those players, it's a lot easier to to overrun our midfield. And then yeah. the only way to combat that is to sit deep. And Dan and Delaney aren't exactly blessed with pace. So it's it's, it's just inevitable. Yeah. And couple that with the run we've been on, there is an... Pardew has spoken about tightening up. A lot of people have been clamouring for, you know, if only we could have Pulis back for three or four games to stop the rot sort of thing. Um, so I think it's a combination of the two things not uh, it, I, I don't disagree with it I I would love us to, to see I'd, I'd love to see us keep a clean sheet we haven't kept one I think the, the, our bad run started with two nil-nil draws uh, which we were looking back we were disappointed about that but I'd take a nil-nil draw now just to tighten up and, and get that momentum speaking back. of clean sheets um, oh, no. Mr Hennessy's come in for a little bit of criticism on the free kick um, what, what do we make of that particular instance? Because obviously that's that's what allowed West Ham to get their noses in front. That was probably the incident that could have, you know, but for a red card, probably seen them saunter to a fairly comfortable victory in the end. 
Uh, any thoughts on the sort of accusations being levelled his way? I don't agree with that bit. I think there's a lot of a lot of people saying uh, forgetting that we came out the second half of a totally different attitude. So I don't think they would have sorted to. Uh, I don't think they're West Ham really in, as, in control of that game as, as people are implying, Mike. Um, yeah, it was. It's a shame that he took a step to the right because it invites the criticism that he will inevitably get. Um, I, and I know, I know some people will disagree with this. No one is saving that step to the right or no step to the right. Uh, Payet had put one on the, the in the other corner or tried to put one in the other corner. And my dad noticed as, as we were lining up, and Ian Wright pointed out on on match of the day there were seven men in the wall, mm. and they're actually the two West Ham men, and then punching effectively next to them. So there's ten men uh, in that wall. There's no way Hennessy can see what's happening until the ball's over the wall. Is that not his responsibility in terms of the number of men he's put in that wall? E- yes, to a degree. Um, uh, no, I think that would have been worked out before and with the, with the trainings. Stuff. Then, that do, well, then do you not day. trust the men that you've got covering that side of the goal? I, th- I thought we were defending it very well. I thought it was a, a good tactic to put because we're quite a tall team. It, it looked like that corner's covered. I, I think it's, it's part of our job in this pod to be ultra critical sometimes, and I think you have to be ultra critical to, to blame Hennessy for that. But I don't know whether Pai is good enough to have spotted him moving as he came up to take the free kick. Certainly, their scouts would have told Pai that Hennessy has got a tendency to take a step to the right. So, whether or not that was savable, and I think looking at it as I've done over and over again, I think if he stayed where he was, he could have made a fair fist of saving it. And let's not forget, it was a well—it's a, it's a world-class goal, it's a world-class free kick. But the fact that they would have known that Hennessy has got a tendency to to do that at free kicks, and he he does do it, and it's a, it's something that needs to be coached out of him. His goalkeeping coach, whether that is, needs to work with him because he does it. Every time it's like a tick. He does it all the time, and it's whether that's because he doesn't trust that the wall's in the right place, whether it's because Pai put the ball there previously, and because Pai, to be fair, looking at his previous free kicks, does tend to put yeah. it in in that other corner. Yeah. Whatever he got, he got out fox. Whatever, and but there's no having said that. Having said that, we're ultra critical. There's no real shame. I know you just sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and go that's that's a world class goal. I think with with Hennessy, um, one of the problems that he has is that he, he's visibly nervous, um, and I mean that in the sense that when you see, you see a, a cross coming into the box, well, I mean that in the sense that when you when you see a cross coming into the box, for example, there's that hesitancy to be, to you know, you want a strong goalkeeper who is who has dominance in in the box, who has that that wherewithal to understand whether to come for a cross or not, and not to not to kind of to, to delay or not to 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 have a second guess, you know, not to second guess it. And when you do that, you then end up putting the defenders under pressure because they're thinking, well, what is the goalkeeper going to do in this mm. situation? There were a couple of crosses that came in against West Ham where he did that, where he took one step forward and then back, you know, backtrack. It doesn't help him. Um, is any other player but, subject to the sort of micro analysis? Well, no, oh, without yeah, West, we talk to West Ham. You read all the reports. Dwight Gale. Try to get possibly, but read all the reports. And as I say, talking to friends of a West Ham fan, the, well, I mentioned to my mate, you know, is anyone having a go at Adrian for the, for the, for yeah, the first exactly. goal? And he, he went, Oh, it didn't really occur to me. Yeah. Like it was a mistake. <laughs> if, 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 if Hennessy had done that, everyone would have gone completely mental. And as far as I can see, West Ham fans just shrugged their shoulders and went, Oh, well, it was a, it was a mistake. Mm. He shouldn't have done it. But it's, it's not been, and even on it, it, Hennessy, Hennessy taking a step to the right got far more. Uh, 
coverage from the pundits on Sky and BBC than, than Adrian's mistake did. No one was having a go at Adrian. They just went... In fact, one... Uh, I think it was Kevin Kilban last night um, just went, it was such a good free kick <laughs> yeah. that he was fooled by the flight. And, and it was not, that was a really poor mistake. And hats off to Delaney for... Cap- but if Hennessy had done that... It's still the tweets would still be happening, and with, half with, the questions would be about it. So there is, I think you're right. I think I think, understandably, but I think Hennessy has become one of those players who he, he basically he's got to save two penalties in the cup final before Palace fans start to not subject him to the sort of scrutiny that he is. Well, I'd be appalled if he doesn't save three. Yeah. Frankly, I think the problem for for him as well is that for for that that Pie goal was a world class free kick. Yeah, and in order to save a world class free kick, you probably have to be a world class goalkeeper. Um, arguably, Hennessy isn't that. Arguably. He does the job. <laughs> he does the job. You know, he's he's he is a goalkeeper for the club, a club of our stature. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the micro analysis has been excessive. I think that I think you know I, I'm to blame for as much of that as well because I, I you know I, I think that we could do with uh, personally. I'd rather see Julian Sproni being being given a chance, but that's just because I'm pathetically oh, biased. There is an element of bias there um, and, and a kind of, you know, you forget what, what all the bad things that Speroni did last season, for example, or the mistakes that he made. Yeah, well, Speroni um, was lucky enough to make his mistakes at a point when he first came oh, in, yeah, in, a, yeah. in a pre-Twitter era because if you know, if he'd had social media when Speroni was our goalkeeper first of all in Premier League, he probably would never have played for us again yeah. because he would have got terrible abuse and I think people forget that sometimes that Speroni only became a hero after a, a lot of time in the wilderness and a lot of working his way back into a and team and a lot of loyalty and Hennessy the thing is Hennessy's a Premier League goalkeeper the, as simple as that he's not a bad goalkeeper like everybody says I wouldn't be surprised if he's still our goalkeeper next season because Pardew, Pardew clearly seems to rate him and the really disappointing thing for Hennessy as well is that um, we all t- we're all talking about his mistake for the, for the free kick but the fact that the free kick was actually given away there by Joel Ward yeah. with, with with what was a really bad tackle, having yeah. having been told by Alan Pardew, supposedly, that you yeah. shouldn't be giving free kicks away in areas where Pae can score them, um, that really should be also part of the focus. You're, you're talking about a tackle that was... It was so half-arsed, really. It was so kind of... Well, this sit- brings me on to my next point. Do we have a problem with Joel Ward? I think we've got a problem with our fullbacks generally, don't we? Yeah, I, I think to be fair to any footballer, I mean, it's, it's all very well for Pardy to talk about not giving Pyatt the opportunity. It's the same as rugby coaches saying, you know, don't give penalties away. It's, it's almost impossible. At some stage, you're going to be penalised, you know, because players buy fouls so easily, and even against good referees, players will get fouls in and around the box. And I think it's hard to blame Ward for that. I mean, we have got a problem. We've definitely got a problem in the fullback position, and that was that was highlighted against Leicester more so than against West Ham, I think, because I think mean, at least Sacco was covering Soiree certainly more so than than he's been getting in previous games. But look, I think we've had this discussion before. We, I think, we pretty much all agree that three out of the back four probably aren't quite. You know, they're not top half Premier League at the moment. I mean, Joe Ward is, but it just isn't at the moment. Soiree, the jury's still out on but yes we have got a problem with the with the, with the fullbacks and there's no doubt about that but I do think Joel Wards is is temporary because we've seen over yeah. the player he carried See, in, in the past I, I, my uh, my logic to this is that I think in, in some ways we've gone with a more expansive approach since Pardew's come in and 
if you're looking at Joel Warden saying, well, you know, why, why isn't he as good as he was when Pulis was here? Well, the whole outlook at that time was very different. You're, you're asking Joel Ward to play a different kind of fullback role now, where he's expected to run the entire length of the pitch uh, and provide defensive cover, and then also not have the wingers to, to cover him in the way that they used to under yeah. Pulis. You know, the Pulis approach was very much... If they've got the ball, you get you get behind yeah. it and you stop it from getting anywhere near the box. Whereas now it's a case of if you know if we've got the ball, we need to get everyone forward as quickly as we possibly can. It's the same with Suarez. I think I think we do have a problem with our fullbacks. I, I think that some of that is management, as I, with, with regards to tactics. I think that you're not you know if we weren't asking Ward and Suarez to push forward as much, you might not you, you know you might let them focus on their defensive game a bit more. Um, but then equally, the, that approach is aimed at trying to pin opposition teams back and creating chances. But Talking of creating chances, one... Well, <laughs> really segueing this, aren't you? Thank you, thank Not you very much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember his name. Uh, talking of creating chances, a guy who creates a lot of chances generally for Palace and even has, I think, been at the top of the charts for that, despite being out injured, but came back on Saturday, was Jason Punchin. What, what, what did we think of his performance? Rusty... He missed a great chance. Um, he a couple of stray passes. Um, although Mindy Pie pinged a couple of balls, forty-yard balls into touch. Um, but but obviously everyone makes excuses for Pie. So always been he's had two international games in yeah two exactly. Weeks, so there's punch just coming back from a long injury, and everyone says well he's shit, isn't he? I had there were so many uh, <laughs> slightly, un- slightly unfair judging by different <laughs> standards. But, yeah. There were so many moans in the crowd when uh, Punch miscontrolled a ball, yeah. misplaced the pass, and five minutes earlier Pie just dinged one into touch, and no yeah. one batting an eyelid. He was he was I was so glad to see him back. He I feel a lot calmer with him and the team. He's so much better at protecting possession generally makes the right decisions and I can't remember where I, I, I've stolen this from somewhere I read it somewhere but he, he did bring a sense of passion back um, like he, he, he cajoled when he needed to he, he dug out people when he needed to there was um, one of the, the when the sending off happened he immediately went over to party to get instructions and then came back and made sure that obviously it was a, it was a, you'd assume it was a party or a Milan instruction but what we did was we swapped the wingers mm. um, but Punch you know, was very much at, at, at the centre of that making sure that happened straight away and that made that made a huge difference I think more more so than than, than the, the substitutions than bringing Gale and Campbell on having having Balassi being able to run at, uh, at, at Cresswell um, and I think Punchin and whoever he ended up in midfield next to Jelinek, it was, it was much more. We were much more effect, effective at feeding the wingers with him there. He was. It was. I think. Was, I think he he gives us when he's at, when he's at himself and he and he wasn't for the three or four games before he got he got injured. He wasn't playing as well as he could do. But he he gives us a little bit of edge. He gives us a little bit of bite. He is a natural leader, which we've we've lacked a little bit. But he does. Play on the front foot a lot more as well than the, the other midfield players we've got. As we talked about Ledley and Jednak earlier, they're not they're not like Cantor. They haven't got the energy of, of you know they're not going to go box to box. So that's why they're sitting in front of the centre backs as more as much as anything. But punching does look look to to get forward. And there were moments, albeit I only watched these on TV, but there were moments certainly in the second half and Saturday when there were little glimpses of what we were before Christmas with Belassi looking to get ahead of. Ahead of the ball, punching, feeding them in, and Balassi just doing the simple thing and getting behind the fullback and looking to put the crosses in. And punching 
will if he's in midfield, he will try and get into the box or get onto the edge of the box and give you another player in it. So I was I was really pleased to see him back, really pleased to see his energy. But again, he's another one. He's just not going to please all Palace fans all the time. It's it's, it's simple as that. I'm not entirely sure why that is because he's even when he's not playing well, he's always he's always looking to try and do something. He's always looking to, he's, to cover the ground and make and do his work at both ends of the pitch. I think he's definitely a leader. I think um, if you ask players uh, who they who who kind of set standards in in the dressing room and on the training training pitch, Punchin is one of those people. Um, and and I think that. That attitude shows when you're actually watching the game. I think Punchin's had a bit of a tough one this season because his responsibilities have changed as a result mm. of Kabai coming in and, and he's not the pivotal figure anymore as, as, as he was in the season prior to that. Um, but when he does, when, when he was introduced, you know, for the, the West Ham game, he was there, he's that controlling influence. And as you say, if you, I think the tension obviously showed with the with the, the mumbles and the groans when, when he misplaced the pass but that's partly because of the situation we're in but he's clearly got that quality that can kind of influence the game and he can pull the strings that that make things work and well, talking as well with Wickham correct me if I'm but I think when when Wickham was playing well the two or three games when he scored the goals punching wasn't was still out wasn't he mm. so I think punching with Wickham back with Wickham's movement up front and Punchin looking to get him in behind as well, as well as the presumably Zahar and Balassi. I think that's going to give us a lot more options, a lot more flexibility. Up by the t- by the yeah. time we we reach the semi final, you know, by the time we play the semi final, we could end up with our full midfield yeah. back again. Oh, if we've could played, but even even if we had two of the three back, so Kabai, MacArthur, Punchin, we've played with either two or all three missing since yeah. Stoke. Since Stoke, yeah. 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 So, which is, which you could argue is what is one of the reasons why we've been as poor as we have. It's, or it's one of the reasons. I don't think this is struggled in the way that we have. You can. It, it's an excuse, but it doesn't justify. No, I, I think not you getting any problem. But you, it's a lot. The, I mean, if you take out, if you take out a team's entire first choice midfield and the logical first choice backup, then yeah, any team's going to struggle. The depth you of talk, our, you take Conte and Drinkwater out of Leicester, they're going to get relegated. Yeah. The depth of our squad is obviously pro- a yeah. problem. Um, but it, it, it does show when you take out the be- three best ball-playing centre midfielders that we have um, and and you expect the team to kind of perform you know, at the same standard. Well, also, especially when you've sent out potentially one of the best ball-playing midfield players we've got on loan to Plymouth or wherever it is he's gone for the rest of the season, which is a decision that's still mystifying me. But he's not even making the team at Plymouth at the moment. But so I, I, I don't think you could... Uh, he's an option. He came on, he, I wouldn't came say on, that... He's, well, considering the lack of options we've had... Yeah. To get rid of an option, get rid of the player who's going to win the Young Player of the Year by several furlongs, mm. uh, just seems an odd decision to me to let somebody with that potential go at this stage of the season. I when, think when we, we, we were panicking, and let's be fair to Jednak as well, who stepped up a little bit to the plate three or four weeks ago. The idea of Ledley and Jednak being our midfield was having everybody. See, in, I think, but then you look at the way that that Boateng played at Swansea, and and he was he it was nice to see him play. Mm. But bar that one chance, he really, he really didn't get that that involved. And I think that's the thing that mm. that that this is a player who needs to play games. And I think that the same applies for Sully Kai Kai. So you look at these two players that are out on loan, and they're doing they're doing well. Mm. But the reason why they're doing well is because they're getting to play regular football and they're playing competitive regular football. Yes, so so the opportunity will come for them. I'm, I'm certain of it. And an opportunity um, will come for us to speak more about whoa. Palace. Have you been waiting for that? Oh, I have indeed. Thank well, you, you so much. much. I thought you drifted Thank off you very a little much. bit. You just Waiting for the word. I know I glazed over. I glazed over. There were certain keywords coming up. We weren't talking about employment law and 
tribunal. Well, you, you should wait until the invoice for last week comes through <laughs> in the post, I'm telling you. We will be back in part two where we will return with your questions. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! Pod 175, sponsored by Vector, the print and embroidery company for all your print and embroidery needs, funnily enough. And their website is www.vector.co.uk and that's Vector with a K. Thank you very much. I'm also sponsored by JC Innovation and Strategy, the global innovation and strategy consultants from South London. Visit jc-is.com. I will. There we go. And we're back with Kevin, Mike and Rob and we're going to do questions. We've also got a story to tell at the end as well. We've got My a question. Is where is where's JD or Jim or whatever his name is? Where is he tonight? Well, we felt we needed some preparation and organisation tonight. Oh, okay, right. And it just it was a, it was just not a non-negotiable. We basis. sent him to Ireland. He's, he's not in the he's, gym, he's, is he? With the getting ready for the. Have you thing. seen his arms? He's yeah, holidaying with his, his, uh, he's holidaying oh, his with his family. So he's yeah, he, he sent me through a photo earlier of himself in a wetsuit. He went surfing. Yeah, nice. Did he? Yeah, it, it, it looks. I mean, imagine basically uh, Baywatch set in Eden Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, in, and you're kind no, of getting close. He's in no danger from sharks, is he? he well, we've got lots of questions this week. We've got lots of questions. And the first question, which is probably going to be very little of a surprise given that I've already massively signposted it in the first half, mm. if I can find it who it's from, which I can't. Oh, oh, cool. oh, Christopher so, Gillett. So <laughs> I wanted to give you some Jamie <laughs> nostalgia. Uh, this question is from Christopher Gillette or Gillett. I don't know which, but Christopher. Hello, Christopher. Given, it could be Gile. It could be Gile. It could be Gile. It could be a, a friend of Tim Sherwood. Given this weekend's result, is the Norwich match must win or must not lose? Before we answer that. Well, no, the, the, you've not worked out the format here. You, you get a question asked, you answer the question, usually with some irreverent nonsense or some sort of factual based answer. Or okay, he's listening to me nonsense. and he's just raising his Shall I answer before. the question? A friend no, of I want to hear what Mike says. A friend of mine stumbled upon a Tinder. A lady on Tinder. Right. Stumbled uh, on her. I see. Well, that's always my excuse, Your Honour. <laughs> I, just, I just stumbled. I don't know what happened. I fell over and suddenly I was... On t- oh, that's quite right. <laughs> and uh, she said her tagline was, my nickname is Gillette because I'm the best a man can get. Also, I will cut you. <laughs> I'm glad we went on that tangent now. Now back to the actual question. Is it a must, must not lose or is it a must win? It is a must not lose because if we don't lose, we're pretty much safe. N- Norwich play Sunderland the game after us, so ideally, <laughs> um, we just we just mustn't lose that. I think. Well, I think there's two things. Let's not forget our home form. Yeah. Uh, before we get to Ooh. make too many predictions about whether it's a must win or a must not lose, to be honest, I'm not worried about Norwich. I'm more, far more worried about it. it's Sunderland and Newcastle. I'm looking at the amount of points we're ahead of them. Pretty big result for Sunderland not to beat West Brom uh, it, it, it at the was, weekend. It was um, a very dispiriting result for them as well, I think, because they've got some really tricky games coming up and I think West Brom would have been on the list of three games that they would hope to win. You'd rather Norwich beat Newcastle mm. than, Nor- than Newcastle beat Norwich for a start because it, it, it's really difficult to see... And I know Newcastle have got us to play in Villa, but it's really difficult to see Newcastle making up a, what is a 10-point gap with the goal difference between us. And I'm not, you know, it just is difficult to see that based on the way they're playing. So 
it's it's about getting points that gets us away from Newcastle and, and Sunderland. And to be honest, uh, this time last year, or the last pod, I was saying, however we get them, three points is probably would probably be enough to keep us up. Yeah. I'm happy to take that with two more draws because West Ham was a bonus point as far as I'm concerned. I think it's difficult to, to not see us getting two more points somewhere or other. And I think Norwich... I don't think a draw against Norwich would be a bad result given the little bit of momentum that they've got and Norwich will be coming into it probably thinking they can beat us which is I think for the for the best to be perfectly honest so a draw wouldn't be a disastrous result and to be perfectly frank a defeat wouldn't be a disastrous result if Newcastle and Sunderland both lose I but think... and in fact it's I, I just sent I think that I don't know if you heard Bilic's post-match interview I don't know if you it's difficult to hear him for the noise of very loud modern music which transpired to be coming from our dressing room. Oh, granddad. Well, you know, it's, 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 you can't hear the words. <laughs> so you just can't make out the words, basically. <laughs> Simple as that. I was, well, as a track my son played me the other day, I'm surprised it even had a title. <laughs> honest, but was it called? I can't remember. It was some... It, <laughs> was it Grime? It, it was bore, he playing you Grime? It, it bore no resemblance to the, to the lyrics of the song, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> but th- that was coming from our dressing room and it does seem... I, 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 I'm not... I don't want to tempt fate here, but it does seem as though with that clear the air talk on Friday night that they apparently had the players are clearly pleased with themselves after that result on Saturday, and I think I, I think we go into the Norwich game with a bit more optimism. But I, I say a draw, I'd probably take a draw now to be the, perfectly honest. The biggest concern for me would would have been if we'd have had if there'd have been a lack of spirit in this entire yeah. period. We've, yeah. we've gone fourteen games, and in each one you you couldn't say that the team have lost faith or lost interest or lost intent they've always fought you know they, they've always put in the effort but it just hasn't worked out well I think the dif- I think the difference is and again I'm reluctant to say this out loud and again I'm only basing this on watching long highlights over and over again but we we haven't apart from the Aston Villa game parts of the Leicester game parts of the Bournemouth game we haven't been particularly bad and we haven't lost there has been that commitment and that spirit but I think what we saw in the second half on Saturday was something we haven't seen for a long time was a little bit of the exuberance mm. coming back a little bit of the flair a little bit of the front foot to, to, to be fair we didn't even though we were the better team against Reading we were never you know, demonstrably the better team we weren't full of flair and pace and spirit nor were we against Tottenham in the, in the cup but there were moments on against West Ham on Saturday when it looked like there was a little bit of belief and exuberance coming back and hopefully we can take that back in but Norwich I mean Norwich would have the same belief and you know Norwich were dead and buried three games ago and they've Sun- had Sunderland for, ex- yeah. for comparison went off to booze yeah you know, that, that, that yeah, full time yeah. whistle you could hear booze well, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I thought you meant they went off drinking. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, right, well, no. too. I was, was, was going to say. The way that, yeah, the way that yeah, they are, yeah. the way that that yeah. team's reputation goes. Speaking like of... Norwich have got Sunderland to play as well, which yeah. is... And we'll talk about Norwich in our extra bit in a bit more depth, but um, that, that's obviously started that, that particular discussion off. Speaking of team spirit, oh. I'm going to slightly paraphrase this, guys. Like, it smell like team spirit a little bit, be quiet. Uh, I'm gonna. Look, I know JD's no, not no, here, no, but you no, don't no. have to do terrible <laughs> puns or musical-based comedy. This isn't what it is this I week. I just want the listeners to know that I'm still I'm in go- touch with <laughs> the youth, the older kids of 1991. <laughs> <laughs> Next question yeah, is that, from. He's married now. <laughs> behave yourselves. The next question is from uh, Vaso Vasilu. Hi, Vaso. And I'm going to paraphrase this a tiny bit because I don't want it to go fully lifeless. But how do we feel about the recent article about players unrest about the present wage structure at the club, which was, I believe, in the Mirror? John Cross, I believe, wrote about it. How, how do we feel about that story? Uh, 
go into any office environment and someone will be moaning about someone else's wages. That's the reality. It's the, it hasn't quite become the story that I think the journalist imagined it would do. Yeah. It, it, it's been on the inside quite a fair way on the inside pages of most of the sports papers, but it hasn't really kicked off. Remember, Pardew talked very early in the season about uh, breaking the structure to bring Kabai in and how if any of his players complained, he'd just say, well, he's a better player than you are. And I think we, let's be fair, you don't have to be an expert at reading between the lines to know it's not it's it's not players they're talking about, it's a player that they're talking about in particular, who's been a recent addition to our squad, who's getting paid way much more. And I, I don't think, from what I can gather, I don't think there's been any genuine unrest about pay differentials because they're not that huge between most of the players Kabai is getting more than most of the players but the differential between most of the first team squad isn't that huge I think and I'm, I'm, this is not something I know but it's something I'm assuming and putting two and two together it's pretty much to do with with Adi Bayor and I, I think it's a meeting that wouldn't have happened if we were 7th or 8th in the table and I also think it was as much to do with that this mythical clear the end meeting on Friday was as much to do with current form as it was to do with pay differentials I don't think it's an issue I think clearly I think there is a certain amount of resentment at the amount of money that Maddie Boyle was offered without, but he's, he's apparently half of that's been paid for by, by Spurs I think we're paying 70 grand they're oh, paying 30 okay. grand I think but certainly we're paying a big chunk of it so I've I, it's certainly not an issue that the well, it's not affecting the way they play. It's simple as that. I don't think. So, I think if you're if, if you're Dwight Gale and you're complaining that Adebayor, who scored tens more tens more goals, the you know tens of more goals than uh, than Gale has recently, I, I would argue that uh, he doesn't really have a right to complain. Uh, but Lassie maybe if that's the same. If that I think that's the other player that was uh, mentioned. I think for me, they, yeah. they're both with the same agent supposedly. Yeah, yeah. So I th- it's just it's you know. I think that people complaining about wages tends to happen. Gail uh, Balassi's just recently signed a new deal. You can't argue that. You can't say that, that he hasn't got he hasn't got value for money because he's he's now getting a Premier League wage for for the kind of player that he is. Well, he was also getting it for twelve weeks when he wasn't playing football as well. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't think it's as much of an issue as the press are trying to make it. I think they will always. It, it's the same way that you know, Gabby Agbon Lahore. If Villa were mid table, there wouldn't have been a story about him smoking a hookah pipe. During an international break, like there was in the, all the tabloids, a, sh- a, shisha. a shisha part, or whatever it was, I don't know. Because it's like, what, what are they supposed to do, players? They're supposed to sit at home with the curtains drawn. It's, it's, it's like smoking a cigarette. Yeah, it's it's it's. Yeah, the journalists will always try and make these into issues. Speaking of issues of being further down the table, <laughs> wow. which, which wow. Uh, Kevin oh, mentioned there, just, saying well, it was it was more more of a thing to do with your bad form than uh, yeah, yeah, than. You've been practicing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just I've, I've had a lot of practice. Is this how you need links? Is this how you're um, talking at work? <laughs> no, 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 it's 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 yeah, far, far more abusive at work. Representing the criminal at tribunal. Alleged criminal. Thank you very much. Next questions from Bristol Palace. Hi, Bristol Palace. Seeing as we're a bottom six club, hmm. is Pardew the right manager for a scrap each season? I saw a lot of talk anyone about... Got, anyone got any tumbleweeds? I saw a few pe- people saying that Pardew should get sacked after that after the announcement of his of the lineup, And I, th- I just think it's... That would be a terrible time to but I mean, sack yeah. the manager. <laughs> but like they, people saw the lineup and said, how is it that Belassi, blah, 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 Belassi centre-forward shouldn't have happened. Okay, fair enough. But this is, you know, if you're, if you, I, I just find it really difficult to weigh up this idea that 
this kind of idea that the the cup games, the cup wins that we've had, just don't count. So they they don't count. We don't, they, he didn't win those games really. I mean, they're just you know they're bonuses, but he didn't win those. We're in a semi final, and a lot of the people that are saying Pardew shouldn't those wins shouldn't be counted on Pardew's record mm. and that he should be sacked are probably going to be going to Wembley as a result of his tactics that led us to actually winning the games. That, that got us into the semi-final. I just think it's a little bit rich of people to complain in some We are now in a position, but, though, aren't we, now, where it's quite conceivable we could go to the end of the season without winning another league game, which would mean that it is, I believe, if, if that uh, eventuality does happen, it would be a record-breaking winless streak for Palace. Do questions think, not have to be asked of a manager course, who's overseen a run of that ilk? But I would, uh, I would say that the, only, the, the one game where I think we really looked completely and utterly outclassed was against Man City. And that's that's a, and then that's it really. I mean, pretty much every game that we've played in this in this awful run, we've had a decent chance of actually getting it. And and if it, you know, you can you can blame luck. You can blame um, it's individual errors that injuries, have resulted yeah, us yeah. and injuries that have resulted in us getting into this situation. A lack of squad depth. There are plenty of reasons why you can say the party isn't to blame. Equally, party has had a responsibility as the manager to make the changes necessary to try and get us out of this situation. And he didn't do it until the West Ham game, you know, the, uh, until this game that we've just had. He didn't reverse, you know, I think that when, when you're in bad form, one of the best things you can do is go back to basics. And I think that in, to some extent, Aston Villa, for example, brought in a manager who had big ideas and tried to change, you know, tried to implement these, so this tactical approach to, to getting his side to play nice football, which was the worst thing you could do at that point because you've got players who are low on confidence. So what you need to do is go back to basics. And he's, he's now done that. But I still think it's a bit rich of people to say that, that, that Pardew shouldn't be in a job. When I think the Villa thing's an interesting point because what Villa should have done is got Nigel Pearson in, in January and prepare for going down, which is what they were going to do whoever they got whoever they got in. But that's a different... I think the Pardew thing is really interesting because... Until New Year, or until January, February, whatever, nobody was really talking about the lack of a plan B uh, because we were fifth in the table and Pardew was going to be the next England manager and no one questioned him and no one was saying, are we lucky, have we had luck with injuries, have, we, have things gone our way? I think the, win- the transfer window didn't help him because I think there was an air of complacency, whether that was from the club or from him, but he clearly wasn't pushing to, to bring players in when... Even just as a way of telling the senior players that we were aware of the situation, we're going to bring somebody in short term to help you out. And Ali Bayor has turned out to be a mistake, and Pardew you know, has very publicly associated himself with that. I still don't want Pardew to be sacked, but I suspect, I think if we'd lost against West Ham and then lost against Norwich, I think he would have been. Mm. I pretty much, because I think the Americans have muddied the water in that respect, because the Americans haven't invested in. A, they haven't invested in the championship team. B, I don't think they'd be patient enough to say, all right, we'll keep him as manager. C, they've got the money to pay him off if they wanted to. And I, I, I generally, I think, I think the performance on Saturday was indicated that he's clearly got the trust of the players. But I think if we lost against West Ham and lost comprehensively and then lost in the same way against Norway, I think he probably would have gone. And I wouldn't have agreed with that. But it's, you, there comes a stage when you have to say, well, there is a common denominator in it not winning in 16 games and it's and we've talked about this before any other club there would have been speculation 
on a daily basis. Every single manager in the country and abroad would have been linked with the job, and that simply hasn't happened. So I don't think they want to get rid of him, but there comes a time when you go, well, that loyalty, that patience can't be at the expense of us getting relegated. And think- the fact is I do want him to be our manager because I think what we need, desperately need a bit of stability, and I think the players still like him. But my, my worry is that, because he has got that sort of Wenger-like stubbornness, my worry is that he will say... It was a blip the second part of the season. We're fine. We don't need to spend money. The squad's all right. And we know that it isn't. And we know the home form's got to change. The other worrying thing is that we, we're the second... We've conceded the second most amount of goals in the last 15 minutes of games mm. in the Premier League. So that's clearly down to the manager and, and coaching as well. So there are there are issues that need to be addressed. And, and much as I say I really want Pardew to stay as manager, it, it does worry me that he is too stubborn to address the issues that a clear home form is not is another one so I've got another big issue to address here Mike from, what do you, what's your uh, Mike, do you want to say it Mike's mouthing sacking that's what Mike's saying no, Mike, I, I have to give well yeah he is saying that actually isn't he huh? uh, no no he's not um, I want to hear more from Andy what about I, what I think of Pardew yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think frankly there's been quite a lot of uh, overreaction to the role of a manager generally I think it's this uh, why bother what, why bother with a manager yes. well I mean, I mean frankly football clubs are to a certain extent the function of their players and, and managers can have a, a sort of little impact around the edges and certainly they have a big impact if they lose the faith of their dressing room entirely and if those players absolutely decide they do not want to play for a manager at that point you know that, that particular guy's role becomes untenable and he has to be sacked Ultimately, though, I mean, football clubs and, and teams end up being subject to so many other extraneous factors like referees, like rubs of luck and like certain things going wrong against the grain. And Palace have been on a pretty awful run of all three things. But equally, there have been certain times where Pardew hasn't mitigated against the potential impact of some of those things. He's not ever gone slightly more defensive. He's been slightly cavalier at times. He, against Liverpool, uh, when we were playing 10 men, had no plan B in that particular game. He's been at times unable to change certain things in games. So there are certain question marks that I think he does need to take a long, hard look at himself about. And there are certain things that I think the club will need to be really mindful of in the summer in terms of when they are rebuilding the squad because half the problem we've had and it's another area in which we've been unlucky has been with injuries and if it takes three injuries to put your entire game plan out of the water which is effectively what it's been this season it's been MacArthur going out for a prolonged period Punching being out for a relatively prolonged period and Wickham being in and out of the team Balassi well Balassi as well but uh, goodbye (laughs) but I mean if, if it takes you know, yeah, yeah, no, at no, any no, one time right. it's generally yeah, been three three of the, three out of those yeah, five yeah, out yeah. if it takes you getting three three players out of your team at any one time and you can't ever patch up and you can't ever find some sort of compromise alternative then you're going to have problems frankly because you can't rely on having the sort of Leicester approach where your players are going to be fit every single week well the thing with the, I, I disagree with you slightly about the manager's role because I think English football is different certainly to any other country in Europe in that there isn't a structure at most English football clubs. There isn't a director of football. There isn't a whole coaching hierarchy. There's there's the manager and some coaches, and I think the manager's mood sways the players greatly. It, um, I, yeah, I listen to pre- to professional players, at pundits every week saying, "No, no, we're professional. We go out there and play to the, the, the limit of our ability. It doesn't matter who the manager is. That's simply not true. And you only have to look at Villa to see that. And then, and it's the fact is that you talk about somebody like Pearson going into Villa. Those players would have given a damn sight more effort than they gave to, to Remy Gar because they didn't respect him when he came in and they lost any respect that they, they did have as time wore on. And, and if an Allardyce had gone in there or Steve Bruce, he wouldn't have stood for that sort of behaviour. So 
the mood of the manager. And I think one of Pardew's problems is that he is feast or famine. He's, he's so volatile. He's either the cheeriest bloke in the planet, in which case the club, everybody at the club's got a spring in their step, or he's really tetchy, as he has been with his programme notes against Leicester, some of his post-match interviews. And I think, I think Pardew's such an alpha male that his mood does rub off on the players, not to the extent that they've given up playing for him, they clearly haven't, but there are issues with him as a manager, simple as that, and, and, but I still think he's a very good manager, he was a brilliant manager when he got us to fifth, you remember our, our record in the, the arguments we had about the calendar year, we were the second best team in the country in the calendar year over the end, end of the season, the start of the season, it, and it's, it's slightly frustrating that those of us who are fans of his can't point to things, can't say, well no, he is a good manager, because he's not particularly proving that at the moment very 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 briefly I think that the, the, the thing that, that is frustrating is that after every single FA Cup win that we've had the resulting performance in the league which in most cases have been winnable fixtures we haven't performed to the same standard like against after the Spurs game I think it, it, we played was it Bournemouth there were the, it's, no. it's, it seems to have been a trend essentially we win the FA Cup tie the next game we lose yeah. and it's just been I think it, it's taken something out of, it, it took something out of our sales to some extent but got a far more important question now Mr Stezza hello Mr Stezza there we go hello if throwing up in my mother-in-law's salad bowl was lucky enough for a draw on Saturday is that a usual um, what do I need to do for a win uh, do what? I don't know, what does your mother-in-law look like? Uh, I mean, th- th- there seems to be such a series of questions behind that that I'm really intrigued to know. Yeah. I mean, w- I-, I just want to point out that we've done just about everything that Kevin's asked us to. We've changed the music yeah, yeah. back one way, we've changed it back another. Walked backwards from we've walked the Pawsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, Mr. Stezza, did you throw up in the salad bowl while your mother-in-law was eating a salad? Ooh, I mean, because that's that's a. Di- I think it, we have to know. See, it's, um, it's an indication of how classy two of the people on this podcast are. Uh, this week is that nobody's raised an eyebrow at the fact that somebody's mothering has got a salad bowl because <laughs> if Endicott was here we'd be, we'd be, explain, we'd be sal- explaining to him what a salad bowl is and it probably demonstrates what we're like that we didn't raise an eye at yeah. someone throwing up in a bowl yeah. of some sort so. well, you got, you didn't throw up on the floor that's nice well, yeah, there we go very very, very classy but um, yes if, and, and of course it's a, yeah, as we know every Palace fan thinks it's their superstitions that, but yeah I don't know if throwing up in a, I'd possibly no, it's too it's too early in the year. Try it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're, we're going to end on a slightly nicer note because I've got I've got an email here. We don't often get lengthy emails, but uh, it's quite a nice Is one. It from his mother-in-law. It's it's not from his. Mother-in-law. <laughs> He's just oh, throwing up in a salad. Bowl. It's from a salad bowl company. <laughs> no, I have so many questions. I wrote an answer to one of them. Oh, did you? Yeah, you yeah. only asked about four questions. Oh, Andrew. Well, which, which question was, did you want to answer? Which three players should we let go? Oh well, which three players should we let go? Oh, you put me on the spot now. Three. That's interesting. Um, I've written thirteen players down I, here. I mean, that, that's quite a lot to let go, isn't it? Um, like, I think Jednak. Which would you keep? I think is an easier Jednak, Fraser, Campbell, and then one of the goalkeepers, possibly Hennessy. The players Sorry. we want to get rid of, we would struggle to get rid of because no one wants them for the same reasons that we want to get rid of them yeah, this is a that question is from James Fountain by the way hi James oh, Hi James. these are hypothetical questions Mike it's, it's like being turned down by a girl in your fantasies it doesn't happen so we can we don't have to worry about where they're going we can just no. get rid of them right N- another question from James yeah. another question from James and I want a one word answer or possibly a two word answer if you feel it's necessary what position do you think needs strengthening the most in the summer Kevin can't be a one word answer it's, it's well, then, it's, it's, well, well then you're not keeping him with the criteria both, both full backs creative mid- you've, got, you've got to pick one 
So defence, midfield, attack. No, 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 because that's Got an it. area. I want one position. Oh, one position? If, if there's... Uh, we desperately need... A, we need we <laughs> a, 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 a truly creative midfield player. There we go. Right, that, that's good enough. Mike? That was not two words, was it? Well, a creative, a, a creative mid- midfielder. Creative midfielder. I, I, I'm taking from that like a number 10 type player, which is fine. Creative still two words. words. Yeah. Well, yeah. I did say two. Centre back. Okay. Ooh. Interesting. Mm. Rob? Goalkeeper. Oh. And I think conceivably all of those could be the correct answer. <laughs> an easier, what about yours, An easier question is which. All of the above. Which. Balassi, Zahar, Kabai, MacArthur. Punchin. Punchin. Both centre backs are the only ones you'd say. Wickham. Wickham, yeah, a good point. But we need. We are, we need cover at fullback at the very least, and at centre back at the very least. We need, I think McCarthy and Kabai is a really really good first choice, yeah. uh, midfield pairing. But we need two or three people to come in if they're not available. It needs to be a we, uh, need, we need goals. It's improvement it's, across the board. Yeah, we need to we really need to step quality. up next season at home. And yeah, then there needs to be a change in attitude at home as well. Basically. The really? difficulty is as we uh, it's been discussed to death the FFP. Thing or whatever, whatever it's called, we were at the end of a three-year cycle where we can only increase our wage bill by a certain yeah. amount. And the reason we're in that position is because we've signed a bunch of Campbells, Mariappas, mm. Lees, Muches. But we had to sign those in order to get where we are today. There's so many people who moan about how poor we, we've been in the transfer market. But one, every team makes, makes mistakes and doesn't get it right. I'd say our hit rate, certainly in the the parish era has been better than most. Um, there have been a few off ones recently, though, haven't there? You know, the, yes, like, the likes of Bamford, the likes of Sacco's been a bit hit most, most Leicester fans, no, Leicester fans in the summer weren't going out to celebrate the arrival of Kante Mahrez. Well, Leicester signed Kramerich last Bamford year. Bamford scored 18 goals yeah. last season in the Championship, yeah. and he's still struggling to get a place in the Norwich team. So it's Leicester signed poor yeah. players as well. It's but they. Bournemouth are the classic example. They went out in January and couldn't spend loads of money because they had a huge amount of wage bill that, that they could eat up. <laughs> we couldn't. Next year we'll be able to. And if, if we're in the same position next year, 12 months from now, for those who didn't understand the content of the next year, um, then we'd ask some serious questions about our, our overall recruitment strategy. But I, th- I, think it's fa- I think it's a fair mitigating circumstance I mean Leicester signed uh, Gokhan and and he's been kept out of the team uh, by Danny Drinkwater well Danny Drinkwater's been one of the players of the season in the Premier League so there there we go Uh, right we're going to go on to this email now because uh, we, we've had that little good uh, distraction there. Um, so it's it's from Megan, who's a big he's FYP he's fan. Apparently, yeah, he really is. Yeah, I, 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 don't like, I, I don't like it when things don't run to, by the agenda. Didn't mean to phase you. Anyhow, uh, on on Good Friday, my partner Martin at the Shepherd's Dog on Twitter and I got married. That's Megan, by the way, not me. Just, just he got married the Shepherd's Dog. No, be quiet. He is an ex-Londoner and lifelong Palace fan, and when we met, converted me as well, despite me being born and raised in Australia and knowing almost literally nothing about football at the time. So she had a lot in common with Jay. Because they call football something different over there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. We, we still travel back to London as often as we can to visit his mum, although oh. I'm fairly certain she's in some ways just a convenient excuse for us to watch a lot of live football. Mm. When we're not there, we're up until 4am every weekend All to right. watch Palace play. 4am? <laughs> <laughs> Have they been married? <laughs> Jesus. I can't even say one nice, sincere email. 
Uh, and of course, we oh. listen to your pod every week. Oh, oh isn't nice. that nice? And just really? ordered our FYP t-shirts the other day. Oh. Postage to Australia will not be cheap. His vows to me on Friday began, I remember the first time I went to Soho's Park and ended with, you are the Johan goodbye to my James MacArthur. <laughs> Which is lovely, isn't it? The last song of the night was, of course, Glad All Over, with our somewhat confused friends and family joining in with a lot of foot stamping, clapping and hand raising. I think he even posted a short video of it on Twitter. The point of this long-winded email is basically to say that he is wonderful and I'm the luckiest person in the world this week to have become his wife. I was hoping you could give a bit of a shout-out to me. That's all. Keep up the great work. So there we go. I I thought that was a nice one. from? And that's from Megan in in Australia. Um, I'm welling up. And what's her husband's name again? I mean, I was disgusted, frankly, that she didn't put Stuart O'Keefe to my KG, but, you yeah. know, but there are always improvements we O'Keefe can make, aren't scored at the weekend, by the way. The I, winner uh, for Cardiff. Uh, wonder if you'd put, you'd, you know, you all think I'm a hard bit South London worker. I'm very sentimental when it comes to romance and love, so that's, mm. I mean, that's... Uh, He's giving Andy the love eyes I right think now. I always give Andy the love eyes. <laughs> but it's, it's, more, it's, uh, oh, it's a lovely story. That's very yeah, nice. It is. And uh, I, I think we let's. Wish, we wish them all the happiness in the world. Indeed. Congratulations. Congratulations and, and thanks for listening and continue listening. Yes. Um, yeah, are they coming over? And they will continue part? listening in part three. Ooh. When we do in this week, Four. for which JD has actually finally sent the right week. <laughs> so yeah. we've, not, we've not been stuck with like, uh, you know, the 2nd of May, like he sent to Jock once before. So join us then when we go back in time. A romantic way. I hope they're listening to us in bed. At 4 a.m. At 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Join us in the next part. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Part hey! three of Pod 175. We're sponsored, as ever, by Vector, the print and embroidery company. Visit www.vector.co.uk and that's Vector with a... Okay. Thank you. And we're also sponsored by JC Innovation and Strategy, the global innovation and strategy consultancy from South London. Visit jc-is.com. I will. Let's go. Okay, we're, going, oh, we're, right. going. we're also sponsored by Australian Romance. We are sponsored by Australian Romance. It's really yeah. hot to you. It has. It's, it's, I'm, I, you can't I stop going on about it. I'm, I've, it's, well, not, it's, it's a lovely story. It is a lovely story. And it's nice that she's or able girl, to... Yeah. get married. And it's nice that she's able to express it publicly as well yeah yeah. because, I, I was, because if he tried to do that his mates would take the piss I out wish of my wife would do that she's listening did she listen well, I, I, would you tell me funny no. you should I, say I'm not that. the one who lives with her as betrayed well, she's upstairs I'll go and check <laughs> <laughs> right in this week in this week let's go back in time you just back from your six week honeymoon yeah well I don't want to know right we're going back in time we're going back in time this week this week in April back in time um Crystal Palace and Brighton Hove Albion met for the first time in the top flight in April 1980. Who do we think put the Seagulls in front in 1980? It would have been Peter Ward. It was Peter Ward. But guess who got Palace back into it? Whoa. 1980, how would it be that? It's not going to be Jerry Murphy, is it? Who would have been Dave Swindles? (laughs) No, neither of those. those. I wasn't even born then. Rashid Hart. You can fuck off. I'm not, as old I'm as not going to mince words. I'm not, as old as, I'm not as old as Kevin. So you sound it though. People Peter are, Simpson. People at home will listen. Peter Simpson. I'm glad you mentioned Ian, Peter Ian Simpson. Ryan. I've just got to say, people at home will be going. Not even, he sounds 68. That bloke. Really. He wasn't even born then. It was Jim Cannon. Was it? Who helped oh. to rescue a point that day? Oh. In slightly less happy circumstances, day. Um, same Monday, the fifth, 1999. Bad time. Bad time. Palace threatened strike action nah, amongst yeah. the players. 
unpaid wages. Yeah. Lost to Sunderland, who were on their way to a record 105 points. Who scored for Sunderland that day that then went on to become a little bit of a Crystal Palace cult Kevin hero? Phillips. Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips, yeah. indeed. Was that when Kevin Miller refused to play because he hadn't been paid his wages? 1999, it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing him. Yeah. He, I, I, he, he lived in in or around Limpsfield. Yeah. And I remember seeing him like two days afterwards driving. Well, for your prep. Driving to <laughs> Limpsfield. Nineteen ninety nine. Driving from well, Limpsfield. Well, prams a lot longer than we yeah. do. He was driving from Limpsfield <laughs> tennis <laughs> club in his Aston Martin. Yeah. There's no, no part of that story that is not middle class. No, I just, I just. I was thought. in Limpsfield leaving the tennis club, <laughs> and he le- and he left in his Aston Martin, and I just thought, how is you this? You just thought, what a shit car he's got for yeah. Limpsfield. How dare he? I should have got a pair of gloves from Kevin Miller. Did you? Yeah, he was complaining about his wages then. Oh, there we Scum. go. We yeah. can afford to give you gloves away then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, 6th of April, 1940, Palace recorded their... Pro- probably was Peter Simpson. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know because it, it doesn't say in the book. Palace recorded their biggest ever competitive victory when they hammered who? 10-0. Oh, it was... Uh, what was it? What does it begin with, the team? Kevin will know he was there. Oh, was there? Oh, <laughs> oh, that, that's unnecessary. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. What's the a clue? It was only Brighton, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. 10-0? Yeah, in a, in a no, Division B league. game. Yeah, that was, no, it was a wartime league game, yeah. thing, wasn't it? So. 7th of April 2001. Oh, I'll oh, get this one. Which winger plundered a Andrew, dramatic... No. Eight, you have not finished it yet, <laughs> come on. Which winger, in 2001, remember, plundered a dramatic 88-minute goal to give Palace a 2-2 draw? Rubens. It's not no, Rubens. I, I, I just really I just said it's not Rubens. Against playoff chasing Watford. Uh, oh, was it Tommy Black? It was Tommy, Tommy Black. Dean Austin had put Palace ahead in the 14th minute from the penalty spot after Ricardo Fuller had been upended by a Hornet skip. Do I thought Ricardo Fuller had only played one game no, for Palace. Do you remember though? That no, was the one where he did the ra- he did the rainbow, rainbow kick. kick. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. What? Yeah. He did a rainbow he kick over Watford player's head. Oh, I don't recall this at all. I, I'm fairly really sure it didn't good. happen. Yeah. Who scored for Watford? Didn't say. Uh, who cares? Doesn't really matter, does it? Um, Get a new rule book. Sunday, 8th of April. Right. 1990. Yep. I think we should all know this one. Peter yeah. Simpson. Peter. Yeah. Stop saying Peter Simpson. Yeah. 4-3. It was indeed. It was the Villa Cup semi-final. Who'd Most pundits have written off Palace's chances against Liverpool yeah. in the uh, FA Cup semi-final. Who scored the winner? Huh. Peter Simpson? <laughs> Peter Simpson. Peter <laughs> Simpson. Alan Pardew. Alan Pardew, indeed. Yeah. And now back in uh, another cup semi-final. My abiding memory is the uh, army dog display at half-time. <laughs> which we also, if you may recall, at half-time they put a... This is how things were in those days. They put a, a, a dog assault course up on the pitch at half-time. With two semi-final. Yeah, with two Alsatians. Uh, I think it was the RAF, RAF sort of security. And there are two Alsatians, one in the red bib and one that... And the Liverpool fans were encouraged to cheer the uh, red dog who got round the assault course in record time and the Palace dog fell off the beam. <laughs> Literally <laughs> got Sounds on the like Palace, off the yeah. And that was Gillian, you said that was Gillian Endicott's first game? It was, uh-huh. I believe. Oh, I, I might have just made that up. No, that's what we call James. In, uh, that is a glory hunter, isn't it? Yeah, his first game, semi-final. Yeah, yeah. that is... Yeah. We didn't get that now with loyalty points, yeah. would you? She's no. been to quite a few games since, though, to be fair. Now, now a season's a bit older yeah. and, and regular in the main stand. Yeah. So I, I think we'll let her off. Is she going to uh, this semi final? Yes, she is. Yeah. I believe she is going to this semi final. Yeah. Indeed. 
Um, I like this next story. It's a slightly lengthy one, but there, there could be nothing that would epitomise Palace more around this whole era. Or kind of... Well, a, a, a dog a falling off a beam during the semi-final. Well, what's a dog falling off a beam got to do with Palace? That's Crafts. That's oh, true, yeah. <laughs> Saturday the 11th of April 1998 oh you've lost it now ah right? we <laughs> beat Derby 3-1 in, no no we didn't we lost to Leicester 3-0 but in the programme for the Premiership game with Leicester City Ron Nodes reflected on the fact that the Eagles constantly being linked with the likes of Paul Gascoigne Ali McCoyst John Barnes and Andy Gorham had been unsettling the staff and players Nose also pointed out that the recommendation for Attilio Lombardo's recent appointment as manager had come from Steve Coppola himself. The game itself saw Lombardo's men lose 3-0 to Martin O'Neill's mob. Emil Haskey, Emil Haskey, Emil Haskey, yeah, banging a brace before Matt Elliott added the third. Yeah, so that that, that, that was a pretty dark era, wasn't it? Well, they went on to be champions 20 years later, Leicester, so they're a good team. Well, I, I believe that was where it all started. Yeah where P- Patrizio Billio played yeah. and uh, didn't do particularly well. It was a dark era. Can you think of any other dog football puns? Any other dog football puns? We called him Emil Husky. <laughs> Blackburn Rovers. I like it. Didier Dogba. <laughs> That's what uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy Clarkson called his dog. He did. Didier Dogba and got into trouble for it. He did. Which I thought was a little bit, um, a little bit harsh, Political really. Political correctness well, went he, mad. Yeah, except for the fact he does boast about the fact he called him that because it was black. Oh, now I'm going to have to cut that, aren't I? Well, he does. Oh, okay. That's why he got called into the BBC to say, can you not call your dog something else? (laughs) (laughs) So you called it ISIS? Yeah. (laughs) Now, that was a dog in Down Abbey. It had to be put down. Well, nothing else happened in that week (laughs) over over, over the past 35 years. (laughs) Yeah, nothing else has happened. Uh, Lots of FA Cup semi-finals. We've got another one to look forward to before too long. Yeah. But we've also got a game against Norwich to look forward to but that will come in the extra part of this so this is the end of pod 175 thank you very much for joining me Kevin and Mike and Rob thank you thank you and uh, join us join us again for for the extra when we can talk about Norwich and all the upcoming games then so join us again I will dog puns a little obsessive about supporting my local community. I buy local produce, uh, local toothpaste, yeah, trampolines, artisanal cat toys. I'm just a local gal. That's why I was so excited to learn that banking with a local community bank supports local businesses every day. I can finally stop thinking about it. So I'm celebrating with a staycation and some local peanut brittle. Yum. Bank with a community bank and help your community grow. Find yours at banklocally.org. Sports Social Podcast Network.